Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today, we're going to be discussing three topics. The first will be the recent policy announcement by the Central Bank of Nigeria on banning access to foreign exchange for 43 products that they had previously banned. Secondly, we'll discuss the press conference held by Peter Obi, the presidential candidate for the Labour Party in the 2023 presidential elections. The third topic topic we'll discuss is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and its implications for Nigeria. So first question, Phoenix. The Central Bank of Nigeria um, issued this policy announcement a few days ago. Um, I think from following your tweets on Twitter, you seemed excited about the announcement. So to those of us who are not anoraks on economic matters, can you explain to us in simple terms what exactly did the CBN on ban and why is this relevant? Hi, Michael. And uh, hello, listeners. Um, good to be back here again. Um, and thanks for all your feedback over the last week. <laughs> I think it's it's always great when we when we get your your views and and also when you interact with the podcast post itself. I mean, we we see the um, your your views from the voting that happens. So please, more of that. Um, Michael, I, I absolutely. I was I was ecstatic. I am excited. Um, uh, although, of course, there's still a note of caution. Anyone who's lived through Emefiele and Buhari's time would know that yes, there was this same excitement. Was it uh, seven years ago? Um, that turned out to be uh, a false dawn. So, but. I'm I, like you like like you asked me to last <laughs> the last time we spoke about it. I said I would give you a Mikaduzo benefit of the doubt. Like I like I said, he was not my option given his background, but I thought he had the caliber to come in if that's who they want to go with. But I I was very clear that I needed to see the central bank moving in the direction that a central bank should move. You know, have policy coherence, focus on their mandate, which is price stability and inflation management, focus on the financial system, um, making sure that it works well, um, and be an enabler rather than a player. So to, to your question around what, what was it about, eight years ago, um, uh, Emefiele introduced demand management into our lexicon. That was his way of managing the protecting the Naira in line with the direction that his principal at, at the time. Um, I, I find it weird to call it to call Buhari his principal, but I mean the president, the principal of the CBN governor. Yeah, I mean I I I I. I Take that back because the CBN should be an independent organ, an independent institution, and ideally should be answerable to the um, National Assembly, not the president. Of course, walk hand in hand in the pre- with the president. Don't go and do things that the president should not be aware of, especially if it impinges on the fiscal space. But the CBN should have its own independence to manage monetary policy. Um, and the like. Anyways, Emefile did not think so. He believed that he he was there to serve at the behest of Buhari, and therefore, as Buhari said, was hell-bent on not killing the Naira in his second commune, similar to how he had been when he was in Kaki. Um, they decided that the problem with Nigeria is that we import too much, and therefore, if you are going to protect the Naira, you have to stop importation and and therefore focus on uh, local products 
So they decided to call up some items. When they initially did it, it was 41 items. They decided to call out some items that they said, no, we will no longer allow you to uh, purchase FX through the official windows to import these items. Now, they did not outrightly ban those items. So it meant that those things could still come into Nigeria, but you had to go and find your, your FX to import. Ergo, the demand did not go away. Instead, the demand shifted to the parallel market, and that put pressure on the Naira. So that's where you started seeing the wide divergence, because up until May 29, 2015, we still had some convergence between the official rate and the and black market rate. There was there was I mean the gap wasn't that crazy. But obviously once once you force some people away from from the foreign from the formal market, you it put pressure on the black market and and that you know saw the Naira nose dive significantly. So and that became policy over an eight year period. That that you know ban re remained in place. And and we've seen how the Naira has fared between 2015 and now. We've seen the Naira go from about 200 Naira to over 1,000 Naira to the dollar. So the new um, Yamika led CBN is saying we have to take away this, this restriction so that we can have an open market, which, which again, this was one of the things that had clearly been advocating for well before now. But even when Tinubu came out and said, oh, we're going to have um, single rate, rate convergence, all of that kind of thing, and the CBN, you know, devalued the Naira and seemed to be working towards trying to have a rate convergence, one of the first things I said to them was that you are not going to get a rate convergence until you remove this, this ban. So all those people who were talking about, you know, the Naira had been fixed and all that. They were just on the fool's errand. This is the first time you've done something that should help because now there's nobody who's limited. Anybody can get FX. It's now willing seller, willing buyer. If you have FX, you bring it to the market, you sell it at the price that the people are willing to buy and those who, are, who want to buy will buy at the, you know. So that way, the Naira will find its level. It will also encourage you know, more FX more to come into the market. And therefore, you, you can then begin to see a proper functioning market with one FX rate, not the multiplicity of rates that we've had in the past. So this is a big step forward. Uh, it unwinds a big policy issue that we've had that, that really crippled the Naira as far as I'm concerned and, and crippled the economy at large. Um, and now we wait to see that they actually follow through and we begin to see the impact of this change. Thank you, Phoenix. I just want to get some clarity. So you said it's now willing buyer, willing seller. So does that mean the Naira is officially fully floated? Is that what you're saying? Ideally, when you say willing buyer, willing seller, essentially you're saying you floated your Naira. You're asking the market to determine the price. So that's, that's what it should be. Now, it can also be... Now, people when they hear float, think that there's only one way to float. You can have a full float, which means, look, we're, we're, we've left it to go on its own, or you can have a managed float. Yes, it's float, floating, but the CBN will intervene, which is something they've said, that we will intervene, you know, from time to time. So it's not like they just let the market alone determine the rate and not, not say anything or not do anything. So I believe that what they're what they're trying to do is to have a money flow. They will have in their in their parameters, in their permutations, a range within which they are willing for the Naira to go. And when they start to hit the extremes of that range, they will they will double into the market to you know make an intervention. Because the, the question is one of the concerns the CBN seems to have is the fact that there's an active black market or as they call it, a parallel market for Forex. Now, if the CBN wants most of the transactions to come within the banking purview, then does a managed float solve that problem? Because if people can see that they can get a better rate from the black market as opposed to coming into the normal financial system, then doesn't that defeat the purpose? 
No, it doesn't. I mean, the, the, the issue we've had is that it's the CBN who has enabled the black market because, like I was saying before, when you when you don't allow certain people to participate in the market, they will have to go somewhere else to find their effects. And that's what enabled the black market. And we also know that this is Nigeria. There were underhand things happening and, you know, and all, the, all of those kind of things. To your point, it, to your question, a managed float does not does not continue to enable the black market. It's it's different from fixing um, an exchange rate, which is what we used to do in the past. We'll just say exchange rate is 450 Naira. That's what we are willing to sell. We're not moving from there. Of course, if you don't have the FX to sell at 450 Naira, you, you create a, an issue. So what's going to happen now is, like I said, there will be a range. That range will also be a function of market dynamics. It's not going to be an arbitrary thing that, oh, we don't want to kill the Naira. This is what we think the Naira should sell at. No, it will be, it will be, you know, and then they will need to make interventions. They would need to, but that also presupposes that central bank would need to build its reserves to be able to intervene when it feels like and not intervene when it doesn't feel like. But I suppose that's, that's the question, that's the point I'm and, getting at, because they could. In, in, in theory, they could create this band and say the Naira should not fall below maybe 1,000 Naira to the dollar. But if they don't have the FX to meet the demand at that price, then surely people will be forced to go to the black markets. Isn't that correct? Correct. I mean, if, they, if, there's, no, if there's no FX I mean, available in the official windows, people will go to the black market. But don't forget, people went to the black market primarily because you were you were squeezing them out of the official window. The, the, with a with a clear and transparent market, central bank would not be the only player or the only only um, player in the market supplying FX. What you expect is that you know oil companies, importer, I'm sorry, exporters, people who are who are coming to invest in Nigeria will also come to that same market with FX. And over time, as that market becomes fluid and able to serve, it should it should create less anxiety and and that should you know diminish the the need to go to the black market. Don't, don't forget, the parallel market has always existed. The question was always the gap between the official and the parallel rates. We had we had parallel market doing doing uh, uh, what's it called um, Sanusi's time, which was the one of the longest periods where we had a very stable FX rate. I mean, uh, you could you could wake up and go to bed and you would still find naira between one fifty five to one fifty six naira to the dollar, and it was I mean it was the 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 gap between the black market and the official market on any given day was anywhere between one to two naira. But that was because there was no restriction. People knew that if we brought our dollar, we'll, we'll get it. Look, a normal person will prefer to go through official channels if, like you rightly said, the rates make sense. Why do I want to stress myself and go to go to black market, which is usually very difficult to manage? You know, the, usually cash transactions, usually there's all this subterfuge and everything. Rather, people would want to, you know, transfer their FX and see it funded into a Naira account, very clean, go through banks, and that way you capture more more funds flow into the into the official market. What has happened in the past is because people could see the, the huge gap between the parallel and the official market. Why would I send my dollar to official rate when I can get it at almost almost times two on the parallel market? So once you take that away. And people trust the market. They 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 see the rates are fair. They would not normally go through official rather than black market. And with that, you would remove the the gap ultimately that you that that exists. Thank you, Phoenix. Now to the second part of this issue, a number of commentators have made the point that. This is the same APC government. It's not as if it's a, it's a different government. They've been in office since 2015. They were the ones that imposed this, this ban. They defended this ban. Even after they had announced the float and maintained this ban, the APC defended it. And all of a sudden, they've done a U-turn on themselves. And they're also congratulating themselves on this U-turn. So 
a number of people seem to be confused as to isn't there a contradiction in supporting one thing then turning around and supporting the opposite without acknowledging that there was a mistake? Is 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 is, is there something is there something to the criticisms people are making, Felix? There is plenty to the criticism, and I fully agree with people that I mean we need to we need to hold APC accountable and see APC as a continuum. Yes, there is the argument to be made that the economic philosophy of Ebola Tinubu and the people that he has is markedly different from that of Buhari. There's no doubt about that. But if we begin to try and separate, then you let APC get away with nonsense. So I fully agree with people that they should hold APC accountable for creating the mess in the first place and not let them pat themselves on the back for trying to solve it when they haven't done it. Until APC returns us, back to at least where we were in 2015, as bad as it was, we all know that it's incredibly worse now. At least let's retrace our steps and fix the economy and remove all these stupid things that they were doing before, then map a, 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 a clear path for us to prosperity, to improving the economy before they can even attempt to hear any, any positive comments from Nigerians. You know, people are absolutely right. It is APC. It's the same way, I mean, people always said PDP was 16, 16 years of PDP. Was the only one PDP president? There were three. So why will APC all of a sudden decide that, think that they're going to get away with the fact that for eight years they, they destroyed the economy and now think that doing a few things are going to turn that around? Absolutely not. Thank you, Phoenix. No, this was particularly surprising for me because I remember debating with or having a conversation with an APC supporter offline. And I asked him the question. I said, your government says you floated, but you've got these 43 items still banned. And he said that's irrelevant, that the currency has been floated. And he went on a... Don't mind them. It's, they, they, is it that they don't know what they're talking about or they're just being mischievous? From the moment they were telling us they had floated the currency and had not lifted that ban, we were telling them it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. Oh, well. But uh, I suppose you're happy that they've done that. And the next question then is we just need to, I presume we need to wait to see if they're going to follow through because it's one thing to make an announcement, but it's another thing to see. Absolutely. If, I can't agree more. It's why I said. I mean, we have to we have to watch them carefully. We've 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 been through this before with APC, as you as you rightly said. When Emifeli told us he had floated the currency, um, and uh, we we reacted with glee, only to see all the nonsense that came after that. So it's the same thing with how they told us subsidy was gone. Guess what? Subsidy is still being paid. So <laughs> with APC, you have to take whatever they do with a pinch of salt. The thing is, yes, I am excited that they've done this because at least they've announced that they've lifted the restrictions. So that's a step in the right direction. We know the market will react positively to that. We've also seen um, Yemi Caruso told the same line I was, I was saying here where I said, you need to unwind all of this developmental, all of this, CBN directly lending on and becoming a player in the market and let the financial system sort that out. You need to be an enabler. You need to be, you know, focus on the policy making and be a regulator. So he's saying the same thing and saying, look, we're going back to our mandate. We're not doing all this anchor borrower nonsense. We're, we're moving away from all those kinds of things. The right words. Now let's see you move in the right direction. Let's see actions follow that before we begin to trust these folks. Thank you, Phoenix. But on to our next topic, which is Peter B, the presidential candidate for the Labour Party in the 2023 presidential election, called his own press conference. I think it was about 20 to 30 minutes in length. Phoenix, can you talk us what what exactly was Peter be trying to communicate by calling this press conference? I mean, for me, I mean, it was it was important that he spoke, and I think what he was trying to communicate was to make very was to make very clear that a distinction between himself and and Tinubu 
he's always been i mean he's always been clear about his past and 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 being very up upfront with with his own history and all of that and i think he wanted to drive home the point that look this is the this is the dif- distinction between both of us and i've always run when i say i have i'm i'm speaking as though i'm tinubu um sorry uh now that he 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 was putting out re- a reminder that a lot of what this election was supposed to be about was character was integrity and so that the people do not forget and more importantly to make sure that there is pressure on the supreme court that they do not forget and they remember what their role should be of course he stopped short of asking the guy to resign because of course he also didn't want to be seen to have prejudged the case so what was he saying he said reintroduce yourself to nigerians come out and speak to us which is what you would expect of any rational being who is holding an office of public trust who's been in the spotlight for for such things like this we remember when for example when bill clinton had his issues with the molinka lewinsky affair he came out and and spoke to the people you don't just sit back and and expect that you will blow away or be using surrogates or be using people to be to be lying or saying all sorts of things out people if you truly believe that people voted to put you in office you owe them you know you owe them that um um much to come out and clarify the matters and come out and say from your own perspective this is what the issue is so the, which is what uh, Obi was saying that you should come out and talk to people and tell them exactly you know map out your history be very clear where where things are so i think i mean he he did that and he was also very careful not to not to go overboard as some people would have wanted him to do to make sure that he doesn't also create and he is, I mean, he has a matter in court, right? So you don't want to create a, you don't talk, I think the lawyers call it subjudice or something like that. So you have to be very careful that you don't overstep your bounds. But as as somebody who, was, who, who has called Tinubu's character into question, I think it was right that he stepped out, you know, made his position clear and gave Tinubu a way out to come and talk to the people and explain himself. I suppose the follow-up question to that is then, did you think Peter Albi did an excellent job in communicating his position? Well, I won't go so far as to say excellent. I think it was a very clear, um, he didn't, like you rightly said, it was 20, 30 minutes. He didn't go, he didn't use too much verbosity. He didn't oversell the issue. It was very clear. One, this is this is clearly an embarrassment for Nigeria. There's nobody who will argue that. To have your president be dragged through a court case, you know, based on his academic records, based on his identity, to almost to be accused of identity theft. I mean, we know that we know how people see Nigerians outside. I mean, you and I have lived have lived outside the country for long enough to know how some people think of us, right? And to have your president be adding fuel to that fire, I mean, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. I mean, anyways. So he called that out clearly as the problem statement, and that it's only going to get worse. The longer you know this, no, not addressing it will be. So you, as the person in the eye of the storm, need to come out and and speak to the people and make clear your position. And even said, look, if you've changed your names at some point, tell us. That's not a crime. Just be forthright. Just be open with the people. So I think he was. I mean, I think he did a very good job of containment in the sense that be clear on the issue. Don't go straight too far into the legal arena. Don't prejudge the case. That's not your, your business. But be, but be clear about the issue. This puts Nigeria in a bad light. This is not good for our image. This does not help us in, in the things that we need to do to turn around this country, which means we need people to trust us and to want to do business with us. This does not, you know, 
elevate Nigerians. Instead, it's going to create problems for Nigerians um, externally. And we started to see evidence of that. So you need to own it. You cannot outsource this to other people. You need to own it. And that's that's masterful in the sense that if you bait, if you, if you can bait him into owning it and coming out, then you have sound bites to further use against him, right? So I think it was it was good. I think it was it was it was to the point, and I think it was what was required. He needed to speak, he spoke, and and then now it's uh it's on to the Supreme Court. But a number of people criticized Peter B for that press conference. One of them was even David Hundane, who was on the podcast last week. And David made the point that Peter Obi should have called for either Balatinibu to resign or for the elections to be annulled on the basis that uh, Peter uh, Balatinibu forged his certificate and he was disappointed, like many people seem to be, that Obi did not make that firm demand. Uh, what are your views on this, Felix? Like I said, I mean, the matter is in court. If he calls for him to re- resign, it will just be it will just be posturing, right? Because you know he's not going to resign. So what what does he actually what does he accomplish? Oh, Peter Obi asked him to resign. I mean, so and like I said, you you also have to be careful that he doesn't put on too much of the activist toga and loses sight of the fact that he is going to court and needs to win on points of law. So, you know, calling for a resignation, yes, that 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 could be the right thing to do, but you're already in court. So let's, you know, put... Excuse me. Are you there, Phoenix? I think we may have lost Phoenix. Phoenix, are you there? Phoenix? Michael, can you hear me? Oh, yes, yes, we can hear you now. Okay. So I, I was saying, I, 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 I mean, I read... Um, I read David's uh, point, and I did not agree on on the need to 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 take that stand because I think what was important for him was to shed light on the matter, make sure that he remained a talking point, highlight the key the key necessary for him to start going into oh you you have to resign, you have to step down because you know the guy is not going to resign. What's the point? You're already in court, so take it to court and and carry it forward. You don't want to start making demands that put you into that activist light that really don't come through. That's my that was my view. Because there was no I mean there was nothing to be gained. What he did instead was to put the onus on Tinubu to step forward and address the issue. Now if this was a country where we had serious journalists and serious um uh political analysts and those kind of things, that's what they would have picked on. And that's what all our media should have been running on, pressurizing the presidency to get him to speak. That's what you need. Get him to speak, to talk about it. It's not whether he resigns or not, but about making sure he addresses the nation on the issue. Nobody is pushing that point. That was the point he was pushing. Well, that's the other question that a number of people have raised, which is that there is the sense that Nigerians are not as outraged as they should about the gaps in the president's educational history. Is that is that the sense you have as well, that the outrage is just isn't there? I think I think the outrage is I think the the outrage is there, but the question is how does it get amplified that's the that's the issue and because i mean this is these these this is a character who has mastered the art of of man, of media management and an ability to muddy the waters people then get confused because if you if you ask anyone 
Phoenix, are you there? I think we've we appear to have lost Phoenix again. Sorry, I thought you could hear me. Can you hear me? Oh yes, we can hear you now. We lost you for a few okay. seconds. No, I was saying if you if you ask some people, they are not entirely clear what is correct or not. Because you know, you have people like Farouk Perugi, you have people like uh, Simon Kola Wale, who creates just enough doubt to make it to to make people think again, is it really true that this guy or can they explain it? Or is this you know, is the certificate like this other one? You know, so there's that ability to use the media to sufficiently create doubt that people are then, you know, take a step back and wonder. But some are still, you know, vociferous in their pushback and saying, no, this is not an acceptable issue. And there is that, you know, level of outrage that is still out there. I think what is also happening is Nigerians are also looking at it that, okay, it's in court. So let's see what happens when we go to court. I think it's the reaction. If the Supreme Court, you know, doesn't take, I mean, for example, doesn't disqualify Tinubu on this basis and people, that's when we'll know how strongly people feel about it, in my view. Well, we shall see. The other question then is, in terms of his gravitas, a few people have made the well, of the opinion that Peter Obi's conference press conferences don't give the impression of somebody who is presidential. They they often come across as a, a man who's a lone ranger trying to change the world. He doesn't doesn't have a presidential presence. Is, is is that your view? I think it's I think it's always been a it's always been something he's been tagged with. Um, and if we also look at the way his 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 stock rose to lead him to being a strong presidential candidate, he was he was as somebody who stepped away from a big party and then went to to labor and the groundswell of you know support from ordinary young Nigerians was what propelled him into the imagination of most people. He is also not, let me put it, I'm trying to be, we also know that his manner of, of delivery and his simplicity is what people are contrasting with other people that like to come with bombast, you know, who like to, who Nigerians are used to pomp and pageantry and, you know, I, I think I think our military back, back um uh, the time of military rulership has made people believe that you know this strong, this um, loud, this you know have a a coterie of people around you. That's the only way leadership is 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 um, is shown. I think he was he has always been at pains to show very differently that he's not that leader who's looking for a multitude of hangers on, but he wants you to listen to what he's saying and judge him by how he acts. So I think people need to people have, people need to get to a place where they accept him for who he is. That he's not going to be the guy that wants to be your ruler. He's the guy that wants to serve. And he, that's how he comes across. That's how he does his, his, his press conferences. Now, it will be a different matter if people say that when he does a press conference, there's nothing that comes out of it that is of substance. That would be that can be a fair, I mean, you know, that, that can be reasons to have a conversation and to say, is this guy really up to what he's saying? But if they are looking at his demeanor, if they are looking at how he shows up, they should understand that, that by now that that's his brand. That's what he's looking to bring to Nigeria. And quite frankly, that's what Nigeria needs. Nigeria needs to do away with all the trappings of power and you know, I keep saying it. We need smaller government, focused government to drive the changes we need. We are enough of all these big men. I mean, look at the news that just came out of Tinumbu and his and his uh, entourage that went to Onga, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and not only spent money but took money from agriculture to go and you know frolic. So is that the kind of leadership that Nigerians believe that they need? You know, it's <laughs> for me. I mean, it's 
if if that's what people are looking for, then maybe we're we need two different Nigerians then. Well, thank you, Felix. We should be keeping a close eye on uh, this uh, battle between Tidubu and uh, Peter B, and as well as Atiku. And Please hopefully... don't forget, don't forget Atiku. Yes, don't <laughs> done plenty work. <laughs> yes. So when the Supreme Court delivers the ruling, we'll be here to discuss further. But to our final topic, which is the crisis in the Middle East, uh, Hamas launched an attack on Israel, and Israel has responded. And on both sides, there have been casualties, both adults and children. It's been a tragedy. And the issue before us today is what are the implications for Nigeria? So, Phoenix, first of all, has has the Nigerian government issued a statement on 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 this dispute or this this war? It's a good thing that you asked that question because uh, no, I haven't seen an official statement. I mean, I've missed it. I know I haven't seen an official statement from the Nigerian government. Although we've seen some characters that are close to Tinubu, I think that Onunuga chap put out a statement on his handle. This was just before he was then confirmed as a special assistant to Tinubu on was the information or media or whatever it is. So, but I haven't seen anything official. Um, and maybe I missed it. it uh, you know, being the government's official position on this. Nigeria, I mean, which which could be in keeping with Nigeria's be um always playing the role of you know being a part of the non-aligned movement and not not trying to do anything that creates issues but i might i may just have missed it and not seen it but so far i haven't seen anything there's nothing on tinubu's handle on it and i haven't seen anything so far so i think just looking in the news i think the nigerian government issued a statement calling for a ceasefire and condemning the violence. So they haven't taken a side from what I can see. It was in the Punch newspaper. They seem to have just adopted a neutral position. Indeed. And the question then is why the Americans and most of the European nations have come down firmly on Israel's side. But why has Nigeria taken this neutral sort of midpoint position, Phoenix? Well, I, I mean, I think that Nigeria's foreign policy um, has typically been to not take sides and focus more on West Africa and Africa at large. Um, that, that has been consistent um, through time. Um, of course, I think maybe one or two may have made um, different noises, but largely we, we typically tend to stay out of things. Now, in this current scenario, it also, Nigeria has been grappling, as you know, with the Boko Haram crisis. We know our country is um, evenly divided between Muslims and Christians and, you know, taking one side versus the other could could bring certain implications. So maybe they are still trying to figure out what side they should take, if they should take a side. Or better yet, just, you know, don't take a side, but take the side of humanity and just say, yeah, you two, you two have a conflict, but make sure that people, um, innocent lives are not lost, that, um, you know, children, women, you know, the aged and all of those people that need you know, places to take refuge are allowed to take refuge, you know, this, this kind of thing. You don't target civilians, this kind of thing. So, yes, you could take that position and that, that would be, in my view, a correct position to take because this is also one of those conflicts where you can't rightfully... It's not like Ukraine and Russia where, I mean, it was very clear who the aggressor was. Yes, here, Hamas... It started the poke, I mean, you know, poke the bear, as you would call it. But Israel's reprisals are not going 
are not only impacting Hamas because Hamas is a terrorist group that exists, right? But you know, they're not not every Palestinian is a member of Hamas or supports Hamas. So and they are the ones who are bearing the brunt of the Israel reprisal. So it's a very difficult, difficult conflict to take a side on. So it could be an official position to say, look, we, we will not take a side, but we will choose to, you know, speak to humanity and make sure that people are treated well. Now, a number of religious groups in Nigeria, on the other hand, seem to have uh, gone their own direction. So I think Adeboye, Pastor Adeboye of the, I think they call him the General Overseer, Overseer of the Redeemed, put out a statement seeming to endorse Israel. And the leader of Murik, a professor, on the other hand, I think Murik is the Muslim human rights organization in Nigeria. can't remember the actual name. He issued a statement, on the other hand, condemning Pastor Adeboye and supporting Palestine. So is is this a common theme across the country? Would you say support for either side is is hundred percent religious based, Phoenix? I don't think it's hundred percent religious based. I think there are people who are in between who who are looking at the the some people are looking at it from a perspective of fairness and saying, look, Israel is occupying. They are looking at it from a from a fairness, from a political perspective, not 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 religious perspective. There are those, you know, you expect that taking religious positions, no one is not too surprised. But there are people in between from the conversations I've seen, especially on social media, who are looking at it from a purely political angle and saying, yeah, there's been an occupation. Yes, Israel's policy there makes it, you know, difficult for the Palestinians and creates room for extremist organizations like Hamas to take advantage and that's what they've done and and so there are people who are looking at it from that perspective as well then the other issue is there are obviously threats that this dispute could escalate to involve Iran and Lebanon now as you know Nigeria has a large Lebanese community Nigeria also has a large Shiite community that has links with Iran. So are there any security implications of this war getting hotter than it is? Do, do you think Nigeria in some way or shape could be drawn into the battle? I think given the, the, the large, um, just not even just the Lebanese or Shiite, just, just the fact that we have a large Muslim population and some of the radicalism we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years, um, especially in the North, could create issues for Nigeria if if Hamas is able to get away with what they are trying to do. I mean, any any anyone who's looking at this knows that Hamas is trying to to um, bait the uh, bait Israel into an all-out, you know, massacre of of, of Palestinians, which will then give them a rallying cry to turn this into a religious war, to make this about this Islamic world versus Israel rather than um, a terrorist organization that is trying to, I make no mistake about it, Hamas is a terrorist organization and I, and I fully support Israel's um, um, aim to stamp Hamas out. This is not, has nothing to do with I mean, Israel needs to find a way to work with the Palestinians, and 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 vice versa. They need to find a way to to sort that to sort that out. Um, but what Hamas would like, from my view, and and what I've heard, you know, um, intelligent political analysts say is, of course, this is about trying to push Israel to go overboard, which then you know triggers that. Now, if Nigeria has if if Nigeria truly has 200 million people and we're saying that uh, Muslim Christian is 50-50, that's 100 million Muslims. I don't think there's any country apart from, um, I think maybe it's Bangladesh or one of that country has more Muslims than us or something like that. You know, so you 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 could create 
a, an issue here in Nigeria if that were to be the case, especially given the issues we've been dealing with, the likes of Boko Haram, ISWAP, and all the agitations and all the radicalism that we've been we've been seeing, we've been we're seeing over time. So, yes, there are concerns that this could blow over and become more than what it is today, and that's why there needs to be, you know, concerted effort to make sure that you know civilians are protected, to make sure that there are good rules of engagement that don't make this, you know, go over into something that doesn't, that leads to, that leads down a very terrible path. Thank you, Phoenix. Because if, if you remember, in 2013, a Hezbollah armory was discovered in Kano, and the BBC News reported, it, reported on it at the time, and both Western and Nigerian security officials were concerned because their view was that if a war ever broke out between the U.S. and Iran or Iran and Israel, then Iran would activate Hezbollah-type units in Nigeria to attack Western interests. So even if they can't attack America directly, they would attempt to attack the U.S. embassy in Nigeria, the British embassy in Nigeria. So should we be worried that the same could happen now? Or should we should we be taking steps to crack down on Hezbollah units in Nigeria if they still exist? Or what 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 would you be doing if you were the national security advisor, Phoenix? Absolutely, but but that should be that should be. I mean, again, speaking to what we've what we've seen. If you remember when 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 we were discussing Ibadu's um, um, you know appointment as NSA and and what Tinubu was doing about security in general. I was I was very mad about the point that intelligence needs to be number one because we've been losing the intelligence battle. So if I was the NSA, that would be I mean, you just only need to look at what has what has Nigeria been dealing with over the last decade. It's primarily issues like this, and therefore you need to channel your 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 especially now that there is this heightened issue between I mean between Israel and Hamas. You need to then come back home and make sure that there is no room for that to happen. You need to elevate your intelligence to snuff out those kinds of things to make sure that you don't create a room, you know, for for those things to happen. So for me, absolutely has to be that if we do know that there are those kinds of cells in Nigeria, they need to be rooted out. Absolutely. They need to, we need to make sure that you don't give any opportunity for anything to blow over here in Nigeria. I mean, you have there's too many lives at stake and there's too much there's too much um that we stand to lose if we get sucked into something like this. So this I mean the entire security apparatus should be at a heightened level where they are looking at these threats, where they are looking at areas of I mean and and that's why for me I always had an issue about intelligence. You know, you, with all the radicalism we have seen, you should know where are the hotspots. You should know where are the roots and the origins, and you should be taking active steps to root them out now. Absolutely. Thank you, Phoenix. And then the final question on this topic is: Is there anything Nigeria can do? to help to bring peace to the Middle East. I know the last time Africa tried to intervene in the war between Russia and Ukraine, and I'm not sure how successful that was, but do you think there's anything Nigeria can do to try to bring peace? I think Nigeria should, um, should, 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 we should have a, a position, especially trying to get African states together to, to speak to what we think is the right way to go. For, for a continent where we suffered colonialism and we, saw, and we had apartheid in South Africa, we know what injustice looks like, right? And so, and we know what it, what it feels like to have, you know, to not feel comfortable in our own home. So, Surely, Nigeria should be 
you know, trying to leverage its position within the AU to bring a concerted African voice that speaks about justice, fairness, equity, and then takes that message to the Western world and leveraging our, our ability to be between the West and the East to also take it to the um, Arab world to try and bring you know, people together to play that role of mediator in between, I think we have a role that we can play there because we can we can de we can definitely have conversations with both sides using our own history and our own sense of the injustice that we've also suffered in the past to highlight why that's not the right way to go and to propose to prefer solutions. Um, and continue, you know, elevating that conversation. So, I, I, again, for me, I believe that taking a side is makes no sense. Um, you know, taking a side from in. Let me put it this way: I, I believe that, you know, when when you start taking a side, it it blurs the lines between terrorists and the, the Palestinian people. I think that's why it's much better to take a position of how do we find a positive way out that diminishes the power of the terrorists and enables peace to reign. So that's where the focus needs to be. And for me, it needs to be a joint, because you can't have a situation in Africa. For example, I saw Siri Ramaphosa coming out with a statement in favor of the Palestinian people. So you already see Af African leaders, and you can imagine the guys in North Africa where they will stand. So you already are seeing there might be divisions here. That's where Nigeria can do well to try and find a united Africa, if, if such a thing is possible, because then that will be powerful enough to, to be a mediator between the West and the East to try to find a, a positive solution. Thank you, Phoenix. But our time is up. So uh, we just pray, pray that peace comes to Israel and Palestine. It's a very difficult conflict with broader implications for all corners of the world, including Nigeria. So we just pray that our leaders are wise enough, uh, that the world leaders are wise enough to uh, re reach a settlement that everybody's happy with. But until same same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to all our listeners. Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. And uh, thanks, listeners. Have a great week, everyone.